Okay, what are we talking about? Persecution. Okay, we've done, I think this is part five? Yeah, yeah, it's like part four or five. I think it's part five. I know it's part five. <laughs> uh, so what'd you guys talk about first? Uh, the, Sorry, uh, Korea. Nope, uh, that was two. Uh, we talked about the wind. Uh, yep, okay. What was significant about Mr. Richard Wormbrand? He was in jail for like 15 years. Okay. He was in solitary confinement. Yeah, for a lot of that, right? For like 30 years. Okay. Alright. Talk to me about what we talked about uh, with China and North Korea. So they have churches, but uh, they decide what gets said in them. Yes, they're not really <coughs> And if you actually are practicing real faith, you lose your job and they put you in jail and all that job. Uh, then you talked about what? Iran. Iran. Or modern day. Muslim. Right, it is a Muslim nation, but modern day. Pakistan? Persia. Persia. Alright, and you traced it all the way back through the Bible and talked about a couple stories there um, and how uh, Christians are persecuted the, there. The, um, <coughs> there's like secretly like tons of Christians there. Uh, I think so, right? Because the next week like you guys talked villages. about Nigeria. Yeah. Yes. And that place, there's about 50-50, right? If you lived on one side of the nation, you were more safe versus less safe. Uh, and you kind of also talked about a guy in a lot closer. Canada. Canada. <coughs> Remember that guy? Yeah. yeah. He got thrown in jail. For feeding people during COVID. How dare he? Uh, right? Uh, anyway. Because... I like to save people. Not, it doesn't matter if they're going to starvation, as long as they don't get the next. Right, right. He's a super spreader. Okay, so today we're going to go a little bit farther back in time. Uh, you guys kind of saw the preview there on the TV. World um, War II. Hmm? World War II, all right? We're going to go a little farther back when we talk about uh, this lady, Corey Ten Boom. Do you guys know anything about her already? I had two people say, oh, I have that book. She does. You guys know a lot? I know a lot. She does. Okay. I actually know. I, have you read the book? I haven't read the book, but I've read a bunch of like kids' books and okay. kids' movie and whatever. Right, there's, there's a ton of, uh, there is a movie that was put out in the 70s by the Billy Graham Foundation. Uh, there's a book, there's tons of literature on, on this lady and her life. So I'm not surprised that some of you have heard of her. Your class do it when you're the oldest in this round is. Oh yeah, we did a series where we, we watched the movie and then we did the... You guys did like Heroes of the Church, right? Yeah. Yeah. You came up and told me. One of them was, was, like, was like the Jewish in the, the World War II. Yeah, so this is World War II and Corrie ten Boom uh, was not a Jew, but she had a lot to do with the Jewish persecution. She is a Christian, alright? And let's pick up her story. Um, all right, Cory Ten Boom is the youngest, or was the youngest, of four children. Uh, Willem, Nolly, Betsy, and Cory. All right, 
put their names here so we have like a reference. Um, Willem, Nolly. Does anybody know, have any guesses as to what their parents' names were? Frank. Frank? Frank and Jill. Billy. <laughs> uh, Billy? Their parents are. Frank and Jill. Casper? No, that's Casper. Casper and Cornelia. Oh, Cornelia. Oh, I sure do like that. It's the female version of Cornelia. All right. Uh, Corey is born in 1892, all right? So actually a decent amount before World War II. Uh, she's born in the capital of Holland. Oh, I've heard that. That's where the Philippines came from, right? All right, Holland is in the province, a province in the Netherlands, all right? So she's Dutch, right? Uh, and the city's called Harlem. And uh, her family uh, ran a watch shop out of their home, right? So uh, the way uh, Dutch houses worked at this time, there was three stories. The story on the bottom was the shop, and then the family lived in the two stories above it, all right? And this family is, is very dedicated Christians, okay? Uh, they, all the kids grew up Christian, and they had many translations of the Bible in the house. They had a German one, a French one, even a Hebrew one, which is pretty rare for the time. But uh, that's kind of the, what the family did. And so Corey grows up in this uh, Dutch capital of Harlem and you know just does her thing. And as a young woman, she falls in love, but she had her heart broken when the man she loved showed up with his new fiance, right? So uh, she did something that Eric talked about in the sermon this morning, right? She decided what? Any guesses? Uh, Corey decided she was going to dedicate her life to Jesus. Alright, she made this active decision long before anything else happened to her. Alright? Which is important for the story. Uh, so, she goes up, she's growing up, uh, we're moving into the early uh, 1900s now, and her two elderly aunts come to live with her, and she and her sisters take care of their, them, and what that means is they actually ended up buying the house next to them. All right, so now they've got this house, they take down some walls, do some renovation, they've got this huge house, which is bigger than normal, uh, and she also starts hosting Bible studies in her house, and she starts a club for special needs kids. Right? And she even writes a pamphlet on how to teach the Bible to special needs people. It's called uh, Common Sense Not Needed. All right? uh, so she's doing all of this stuff, spreading the word of uh, God. And tragedy strikes in 1918 when Cornelia... Who's Cornelia? The mother. Very good. All right. She suffers a cerebral hemorrhage. You know what that is? Something to do with her brain. 
That's not Is it good. like a... It's a brain bleed. All right. Uh, and so her mom is now bedridden, and how old is Corey at this point? Um, 26. 26. All right. I'll do the math for you. Uh, so she's 26 years old. Uh, so her response is, I'm going to drop everything, and I'm going to take care of my mom now. All right. Can you imagine doing that at 26? You guys aren't too far away from there. Uh, but that's the decision she makes. Okay. Uh, so she takes over maintaining the house and she starts helping in the watch shop before she had just been doing her Bible studies and, and her aunts have also passed at this point. All right. Uh, she even goes to Switzerland and becomes Holland's first woman licensed locksmith or watchsmith. Yeah, pretty smart. So because of this, she's now involved in the watch shop. The family starts to do better financially, in part due to uh, her kind of managing everything. And then Cornelia passes in 1921. So how many years does she take care of? Three. All right. So we're getting closer. Uh, after the passing of Cornelia, the Ten Booms used their large, now almost empty house. Uh, Willem has moved out and Nolly has moved out. So it's just Betsy and Corey and Casper left. All right. Now they start to take in the kids of missionaries. All right. So uh, Indonesia at this time is a Dutch colony. And so the Dutch people would go over there and try and convert uh, the local people, and they would leave their children behind with the Ten Boom family, all right? So they start kind of caring for local kids, all right, and raising them for long periods of time. Indonesia is a long way away. I'm going to just erase a whole bunch. So I don't have to keep going over. All right, starts. Caring for missionary kids. All right, and this kind of continues. This is her work. She's working in the watch shop, taking care of kids. She's got a big family, but it's, you know, changes. And then what happens in 1940? World War II. Exactly. All right. Um, switching back markers. 1940, Germany invades the Netherlands. Um, how many days do you think it took? Like five. You got it. Five days. That's how long it took for Germany to take over the Netherlands. Essentially because they dropped like 100 tons of explosives on the cities. And the Netherlands were like, okay, we give up. <laughs> if we're going to have nothing left if we stay here. They essentially didn't prepare because in World War I, uh, the Netherlands remained neutral and Germany just kind of didn't touch them. But Germany was on, had a different agenda this time around. All right. So the first thing they do is the Nazi, Nazis confiscated all of the radios. However, because the Ten Booms have this giant, weird, outlaid house, 
they actually manage to keep one hidden in one of the stairwells, all right? So they start to become this source of information for the entire community. Uh, they can listen to the queen of the Netherlands who has escaped to London. They can listen to other news about the war and they can also listen to Hitler. Right? All of this stuff is on the radio at this time. So they're pretty well informed. Uh, during this time, uh, Corey Ten Boom is nearly killed uh, by a piece of shrapnel from an explosion. Uh, she was restless in the night because all of these explosions are happening around her. She got up, went to the kitchen, had a cup of tea, and came back. And she was like feeling her way through the dark in her room and cut her hand on a piece of shrapnel that was in her bed. All right, so just because God made her restless that night, she got up and wasn't there when this thing happened, all right? When the Germans began to invade initially, uh, everybody was kind of treated the same, except uh, Jews had to wear a Star of David. You've seen Does she have to wear one because she was... Nope, she's a Christian. All right, she's not a Jew. Um, so initially, that's the only difference uh, between how they treated other Dutch people and uh, the Jews. But it quickly switched to become more aggressive. All right, soon Jewish shops were attacked, uh, and their houses were raided, and eventually all of the Jews were like kicked out and collected into ghettos. And uh, Dutch Jewish men were uh, treated especially rough. Uh, they were beaten and attacked aggressively and they were trying to just kind of demoralize the, the population. Uh, during one such attack, Kesper, who's Kesper? There, the dad, very good. All right, the Kesper actually helps save and protect uh, a Jewish father by hiding him in the house, all right? This is kind of the first act of like open rebellion that uh, the Ten Booms uh, are a part of and it doesn't stop there, all right? The hold of the Nazis kind of continues to grow, all right? Corey's sister, Nolly, and their nephews, uh, so Nolly and uh, some of Willem's sons are arrested and imprisoned and eventually released on several occasions. Uh, the family, did I skip some? I did, all right. Occupation continued, Temboom, okay. All right, so they're trying to ride this line between not being openly political and still helping people, right? They want to do the right thing, but they don't want to necessarily defy the Nazi occupation, all right? However, when the opportunity comes for them to help a Jewish orphaned baby, they take it right in. And this is something that would, would have been openly defiant to what the Nazis were saying at that point, all right? So now they've made a decision. They're going to do the right thing to, no matter what Nazi occupation says, all right? So the family begins to organize the Christian youth around them to aid the Jewish community, all right? Here's our first excerpt from this documentary here, all right? Uh, I, mostly what I picked is actually audio recordings of Corey Ten Boom herself, okay? Uh, but you'll occasionally see a couple other people. Uh, the lady that you'll see is like the caretaker for Corey Ten Boom in her later life. All right, so here we go. What is the story of January 6th? Many people have asked that question. Something quite beneficial. After some time, I had 
boys, 20 teenager girls, 20 men and 10 women. And once we heard that in a Jewish orphanage in Amsterdam, all the babies had to be killed because they were Jewish babies. When we heard that, our boys said, we will save them. And we will steal them. And they went to that orphanage and they stole all the hundred babies. You will say, how is it possible? I will tell you a secret. You know, sometimes there came to us good uh, Germans and uh, who were uh, soldiers who were in the army. And they said, we don't like to work any longer for our people. We will not kill the Jewish people. Can you help us? And I always said, sure, I will help you. Just come in. And we gave them, of course, a simple clothing, and we took the uniforms. All right, so this they start organizing Christian youth to save the Jewish community, but now they have 100 babies to feed. Alright, uh, yeah, but that just kind of gives you the scale of what the Ten Boom family was doing in their city, right? Pretty big. So initially they only had three ration cards, right? This is occupied uh, by Nazis, so food is controlled, you have to turn in a stamp to get your food for that day. Alright, they only have three because there's three people living in the house. How do they feed all these people? So, uh, Corey asked for a hundred ration cards from an acquaintance who had, you know, been given a position in the new government. All right, this guy, Fred Kunstra, uh, used to be the person who read their electric meter. All right, that's kind of just a mutual person we know. Uh, and she didn't know whether he supported the Nazis or whether. She, uh, this man supported the resistance. So she was taking a big risk here, and Fred agreed, all right? He took a risk himself. Fred agreed, and he faked a robbery where he had a friend beat him up to make his alibi look legitimate, all right? And they ended up with 100 ration cards so that they could feed all of these people that they were now helping, all right? At this time, they start to get very paranoid. They're fearing that their phones are tapped uh, as months go by, and they start to become more and more active. Uh, the Ten Boom House becomes this headquarters for this operation where they're helping all these people because they can't house 100 people in, in this place. So they have you know, remote areas and, and this network that they're sending refugees all around. All right? They even devise this secret code uh, where they're trying to, you know, essentially tell the Ten Booms that new refugees are coming. So they call the, the watch shop and they say, I have a watch that needs repair, which essentially means I have some Jewish refugees, they're coming, all right? They have a sign uh, that is a clock, and if it's facing out with the clock face to the window, then it's safe for refugees to come in. And if it's turned around, there's Nazis around and it's not safe, all right? They've got this huge system uh, and it's working out. So. The hold of the Nazis grows, and this is where I was saying uh, during this time, Nolly and some of her nephews get arrested, but the family, so because of this, the family decides to build a hiding place. It's the name of the book, right? Uh, the hiding place ends up being built in Corey's room, okay? It is uh, 
a false wall with just enough room for like six people to stand behind it. And you get in there by crawling through the bottom shelf of a bookcase, all right? The Nazis were trained to search for false walls. So it had to be built uh, thick enough so that it didn't sound, sound hollow when it was tapped on, all right? Uh, and they created, also created a rooftop area that you could access from this so that the Jewish people in the hideaway could go out and get some fresh air as long as they crouched down. All right, they couldn't be seen from the rooftop. So the other thing they did is they installed buzzers throughout the house. And if you tripped a buzzer, it would tell everybody to go into uh, an evacuation thing where everybody who wasn't supposed to be there would run to the hiding place. They would, uh, as they were going, they would grab all of their belongings and if somebody had been asleep, they would flip the mattress over because they didn't want a warm spot to be there. All right. If they were eating dinner, they would pick up all of their plates and set the table for just three people. Uh, and they started doing these drills and practicing getting up into the hiding place in under a minute. All right. All of this pays off because in 1944, how many years were they hiding Jews? Four years. All right. 1944, house is raided. All right. At this time, Corey is sick with the flu. We all know what that's like, right? Let's see what happens. We're going to go to 1835. Eventually, the drills would pay off. Corey had been battling influenza for several days when there was a knock on the door. So that man, his name is Jan Vogel, or John Vogel, uh, and Corrie gives him the money. All right, Corrie gives the money and then just returns to whatever she was doing. Later that day, 5 p.m., the doorbell rings and the Nazis storm into the house. All right, Betsy, her sister Betsy, is the one who answers the door and they, they push her down, but in that commotion, she's able to ring a buzzer, okay? The refugees hurry into the hiding place. They follow that plan, right? And uh, the Ten Booms are all arrested and beaten, all right? So Kesper Ten Boom is offered the opportunity to stay if he promises not to cause any more trouble. He refuses. Uh, and so all three of them, Betsy, Corey, and Kesper, are captured and taken to the police station, all right? Uh, they are then taken from the police station to a prison on the Dutch coast. All right. Uh, once they get to the prison, they are lined up uh, with their noses to a wall. And Casper, the father, quotes Psalm 91.1. Let's turn there. Let's see what he says in his time of trouble. Psalm 91.1. How 
Gideon, can you read that once you're there? 91. Psalm 91, 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the mighty. All right, so he is finding his courage and his trust in God, right? He's in this shadow of the Almighty. He knows that no matter what, God will use this situation for the best, all right? Uh, this is the last thing that Betsy and uh, Corey ever hear him say, all right? Uh, after a medical examination, it's discovered that Corey has pleurisy. You guys ever heard of that? Pleurisy, it sounds, it's so painful. Uh, it's an inflammation in your lungs where they get so inflamed that your lungs rub against your chest cavity. So every time you breathe, you can feel your lungs like sandpaper against the inside of your abdomen or your chest wall there. Uh, so she's kept separate. She's put into solitary confinement and separated from Betsy, all right? Uh, Corey is 51 years old when captured, all right? Well, yes, and Casper, theoretically, right? Because that was the last thing they ever heard, but he hasn't died yet. They're all separated, though, all right? Um, so just the three of them. And we don't know about the Jews that were there during the raid, all right? They ran up to the hiding place, but we don't know yet. So everybody's separated. A few weeks into uh, Corey's imprisonment, she receives a letter from Nolly, her sister, and learns that Casper has passed. All right. He passed 10 days into his imprisonment. So it didn't last very long. He was an older gentleman. I think he was 86 or something like that when he died. All right. His body was thrown into a communal grave. However, this letter also contains a secret message. It says all the watches are safe. You guess what that means? All the Jews are safe. Correct. The Jews that were there during the raid did make it into the hiding place and were saved. All right. So let's go back to our video. I was that moment. 
If you had told me that I could be 100% happy when I was in a prison in the hands of an enemy, I should never have believed that. But when I saw these flames destroyed, these horrible papers, it was as if for the first time I understood Colossians 2.14, where it is written that Jesus has taken the handwriting of all events that was against us, has taken them out of the way and nailed them at the cross. Alright, so... She's safe so far. These incriminating documents are destroyed. Uh, she starts to convert those around her. A nurse even brings Corey a small Bible. All right, it's the only thing she gets other than a couple letters that she has uh, while she's there in solitary confinement. And Corey spends three months there in solitary. All right. After that three months, uh, she actually ends up reuniting with her sister, Betsy. All right. So what happens right around this time is the Ten Boom sisters are taken to a labor camp uh, where they make radios for German aircraft. Uh, they would have one day off a week, and during that one day, they would hold services with the rest of the prisoners. All right, this situation is better than the solitary confinement, but it's still prison. All right, uh, and, and as an example of that, one day the Germans take all of the men in the entire prison, and they put take them behind a wall, and they execute them all. All right, they shoot them point blank uh, while their wives and their daughters and sisters and friends are all within earshot. All right, pretty terrible thing. However, they're only at this place for one month because D-Day approaches. What's D-Day? Um, Doomsday. Nope. No, no, not, sorry. D-Day is where uh, the Allied forces start to reoccupy Europe. All right, it's the landing on the beaches at Normandy, uh, and the Germans essentially hear that this is going to happen, so they move everybody at this prison camp away from the coast. Right, because they don't want these people to be saved. So this is where things get really bad. All right, the Ten Boom Sisters are moved to a execution camp called uh, Ravensbrook. All right, this is about as famous as Auschwitz, except Ravensbrook is just women. Okay. Um, this is also a place where the female SS guards were uh, trained and they were infamously cruel, all right? New prisoners were stripped naked and paraded in front of guards for inspection. Here we go, more video. And then suddenly it was a 
as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible says, they took his garment, he had the naked. And by my own suffering, I understood only a fraction of the suffering of Jesus. This is Alright, uh, so the goal of this camp was to be as cruel and dehumanizing as possible. Uh, prisoners were referred to by only a number. Uh, Corey, even though all of these terrible things are happening, uh, still has that little Bible, right? And But she has to get it through that initial inspection, okay? So she's walking in a line and everybody's being searched and she prays, Lord, you caused the blind to see, please make those who see blind. And when the inspection comes, the particular guard who's going to inspect her gets distracted by another prisoner and she walks right through. All right, so she makes it into this prison camp with that Bible. Uh, the barracks that she's put in are filled with twice as many women as it was built for, if not more. Um, Uh, the women had to share straw mattresses, right, because there's not enough beds. The barracks are filled with fleas and lice, but even those fleas and lice are, end up being a blessing. Let's see how. Food down inside the door and left them to it. Now, when I came in that prison, we had to live with 700 prisoners in a room that was built for 200. It was terrible dirty and very soon our clothes were full of lice. Those lice had caused many sicknesses, but in some way they had helped us, for the guards would never come into our room. They were afraid to get lice from us. Is that good? All right. So they don't go in the room because they're afraid of getting the lice. Uh, the gas chambers and crematorium are used regularly to control the population of the camp. Uh, guards would come to, into the barracks and read the prisoners' numbers, and they would say, hey, you've got a shower today, all right? But they wouldn't know if it was an actual shower or the gas chamber, all right? So they were always wondering. Uh, sometimes people came back, sometimes they never came back, all right? During this time, Betsy's health uh, is declining. This Betsy is uh, Corey's sister, and she starts to be unable to work as fast as the guards demanded. Betsy was beaten as a result, so her health de declines further. All right? Betsy's faith, however, grew during that time, all right? even though while Corey's was being tested. God gave Betsy a vision of a home for war victims that she and Corey would one day have. All right? And then after this home, the vision moves to uh, Betsy and Corey setting up a uh, concentration camp. They move to Germany in this vision, and they renovate a concentration camp, and they use it to help the German people. All right? And after that, then Betsy and Corey move on to tell the whole world about what they've learned while they were in this camp. All right? uh, and because of how weak Betsy is, Corey doesn't know if this is a true vision from God or if it's just starvation and delirium. All right? So soon Betsy was so starved that she could no longer walk. She's carried by other prisoners to roll call. Eventually, she's even unable to be carried, and she's transferred to the infirmary, and within a few days, she dies. All right? One day, soon after this, at roll, Corey's number is called. All right? 
She handed her Bible secretly to another prisoner and obediently followed the guard to an unknown fate. She was given a pair of undersized shoes, a dress, a hat, a coat, and her release papers. All right. Years later, Corey would return to the camp and discover that all of the women of her age were killed the very next week. All right, so she escaped death by just a week. I'll figure this out. All right, after she were, was released, Corey has no money and she's in Germany, all right? She then wandered around the city for days until a nurse took pity on her and gave her food and a bath. Eventually, she makes it all the way back to Holland where uh, her brother, Willem, has been imprisoned, caught a disease and then died. Uh, her nephew, Kick, Willem's son, uh, has also died. They never found out what happened to him, all right? And she still has a lot of hatred and resentment for that man. You remember him, Jan, the one who betrayed? Uh, she actually ended up writing him a letter explaining that she had forgiven him. And she also, in that letter, explained the gospel. Let's see what that letter is about. free and she's back in Holland but she wants to carry out the vision of what Betsy had said right before she died all right so Corey turns her focus toward the Dutch that had helped to the Germans during the war like this guy the traitor she opens up a house all right a house for those people and she focuses on forgiveness and rehabilitation and reform so that these traitors could re-enter society she then turns to the second part of Betsy's vision. All right, the German government actually asked Corey to work in a revamped concentration camp. All right, in Dermstead, uh, Corey returns to Germany and she stays at that camp. Chooses to stay at that camp and ministers there for years. And it, you know. Uh, Betsy had envisioned that it would be green. They painted it green, all right? Uh, and carried out this, uh, this dream, this vision that God had given Betsy. Then Corey turned to that final part of Betsy's vision to tell the world about what they had learned, that the love of God is stronger than the deepest darkness. That's something that Betsy said. The love of God is stronger than the deepest darkness. 
All right, so we're in the late 40s now. Corey starts speaking at churches, all right? And one of the former guards that had been at the concentration camp uh, attended one of these talks. After she was done speaking, uh, the guard approached her and she recognized him as one who had been particularly cruel to Betsy, all right? He said that between the war and now, he had found Christ and asked God for forgiveness. He then asked Corey for forgiveness and stretched out his hand. What would you do? Would you forgive the guy who had beaten your sister and she had died? Let's see what happens here. Uh, actually, turn to Romans 5. That's what I want first. Romans 5, I'm reading verse 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Alright, let's see what Corey says about this. Oh my man, will you forgive me? So what happened next must have happened in seconds. But Corey stood there looking at him. And she knew she couldn't do it. She couldn't stretch out her hand. All she could think of was Betsy's suffering. But then she did what was the secret of her victory in Christ. She made a quick turn to him, not literally. She didn't move her head or anything. But she turned to the Lord and said, Lord, help. And on that prayer, she received a burst into her heart and mind from Romans 5. The love of God is brought into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. And with that came a revelation that she was not expected to conjure out of her own heart and mind love for the man, but she could receive through the Holy Spirit that which was needed to forgive him. Okay, so Corey spends much of the rest of her life using every opportunity to share her story, her and Betsy's story. All right, she wrote a book that we kind of mentioned, The Hiding Place. There's a movie produced by the Billy Graham Foundation based on that book. Uh, the movie spawned world travels and even more opportunities to speak and spread the gospel. Uh, and throughout all of that, her main goal was to spread Jesus on the cross and this forgiveness that she had experienced through the love. Uh, uh, through the Holy Spirit, all right? 
1978, while living in California, Corey suffers a stroke. 1978. Alright. Travels all over the world, and then in 1978, she f suffers a, a few strokes, and they're pretty severe. She spends weeks in the hospital, hospital, and she ends up paralyzed. She lost the ability to read, lost the ability to write. She can no longer speak, and she can no longer understand speech. Alright? She actually lives this way for five years until she passes on her 91st birthday in 1983, all right? It's a pretty tough way to go, but she has an interesting perspective on it that we'll see here as we finish the video. Principalities and powers at work. So we know that there is this world system set up against Jesus, and we know it pretty greatly affected Corey Ten Boom. Uh, it also affects us every day, right? God promises to never leave us or forsake us, and He also promises to give us the strength and love to endure all those things through the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is 
choose, right? Just like Corey chose to stand for him when the opportunity arises. Uh, we know this may weave some of the sorrows into our life, but God works all of those things to make that beautiful tapestry. That's Corey Ten Boom. We'll talk more next week. Thanks, guys.